0: You
1: say, we don't know. We say, we don't
0: know. We say, Trek This Out. Hello and welcome to Trek This Out, your friendly neighbourhood Star Trek podcast. I'm Dave, your guest host for this week. And we are talking about Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 8, Surrender. But of course, it's Never Give Up, Never Surrender, your regular hosts andrea deb and suki how are
1: you all hello Hello. i am uh, very extremely knackered because i did did a night shift so if i start yawning halfway through the episode it's not because you're boring dave right it's because i'm knackered right it's good to get the excuses out in
0: front right at the start (laughs) (laughs) we Um, don't have any news or anything we want to add
2: i'm hungover in classic my form so you know it's bank holiday weekend got to be done
0: (laughs) Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, if there's nothing else, let's crack in, cause I think there's a lot to talk about on this one. So we'll start, as always, with your initial thoughts. And Andrea, since you've got the largest mug of tea, you can go first.
2: <laughs> I, lo- I loved it. It made me really happy. Um, I've seen some criticisms that it's, like, riffing on nostalgia too hard, but, like, not have been here since the 80s, I think we deserve nostalgia, like, I loved it. <laughs> happy, happy bunny.
0: Excellent, Siki, What about you?
1: Yes, it was a great, great, great episode. Uh, uh, as Andrew says, I just, I had a great big smile all the way through. And I just loved it. Loved it. And Deb, with her rustling.
3: Oh, sorry. I I, I haven't organised my notes very well, but the one that um, I wrote when I first saw it uh, was exactly that. As soon as Spot appeared, uh, I just, I am smiling. And then I smiled all the way through, apart from the end, where I went, ah!
0: And is that because something bit you, or...?
3: (laughs) No, I'm not in Australia.
1: Um... (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Dave, what did you think?
3: Look, I
0: definitely enjoyed the episode. I think that it was the best of Picard Season 3 and, in some ways, the worst of Picard Season 3. That's my initial comment. And if I may, I might just sort of segue into what, I mean by that. And look, let me say up front, after a bit of a rocky start, I'm enjoying season three of Picard far more than I enjoyed season two or season one. I thought both of them started really, really strongly and then sort of got very confusing and strange, whereas this one has been just fun to tune into every time. And yeah, like there was a lot in this episode to love, but after I'd watched it the first time and I looked back and I said, what was that episode about? I kind of struggled to remember, and I do like it when even serialised television has each individual episode having some sort of story. So The Mandalorian does that really well. You've got this ongoing story, but there's the one about this and there's the one about this. And my favourites of this season have been the ones that fall into that category. There's the one about Roe Laren. That was a really strong episode in its own right. So did I enjoy this as part of a long movie? Absolutely. Is it going to hold? Up? Like, am I ever going to sit down and watch this episode just on its own for its own self? I I don't know about that. I don't know how you guys feel about that, though. But that's that's my one sort of hang up about this season.
1: I, I understand what you're saying, but because I think there's only three episodes in, right? It can't really be a standalone episode. It's really got to kick in with the storyline. Uh, and this, you know, I, I, two episodes after this, I should say. Uh, so it's got to kick in with the storyline. So it needs to. Just constant, doesn't doesn't have to be like, as you're saying, like with the Mandalorian, a storyline of the week. If this is just now part of the ongoing story for the season, and it has to kick on with it. There is
3: usually um, a theme, um, uh, but yeah, I couldn't. I mean, apart from uh, doors and moving forward, there was so much going on. Really, so many themes uh, that um, it was hard, but. I am getting a bit exhausted by cliffhangers, and particularly, um, uh, there's, I read that um, Terry Talos said um, that, yeah I'm getting there, um, uh, he, he said that we'd missed one huge clue, and so I re-watched it, uh, I have to watch subtitles because my hearing is crap these days. Um, And um, I watched, you know, every single word and it was just, I mean, it's great, but it's like watching Sherlock Holmes, really, isn't it? You're looking for every single clue. It's fantastic, but exhausting um, as well, trying to work out. And there's so many red herrings that you can find a clue, but you never know what what it is. Well, well, look, I was just going to say, let, let's let's dive
0: into the end, a very good place to start, and talk about that cliffhanger, so I think that's what everybody's talking about. Um, I was sort of thinking that there are really two ways they could do that cliffhanger, and as it was getting towards the end of the episode, I was thinking, which, which approach is it going to be? It's either going to be, they open the door and we see a thing we all recognise, and that's what we're all talking about for the week, or they do what they did, which is, you know, cut at <coughs> the moment they open the door... So I've got thoughts about what that means for what is going to be on the other side, but yeah, let us sort of talk about that and clues and, and the likes. So Andrea,
2: so I felt like th- this was a bit of an odd one, and we've kind of Troy's been brought into the story now um, to like use those abilities, and I felt like Troy got used a bit like doing the Spock thing, and it felt more like a mind meld than anything we've seen Troy do before, because it was always about sort of general vague feelings and like you said, like it, it just that sort of more wider empathy but now it's like I'm going to delve in your mind and see what you're thinking and it really did feel like you're going to do what Spock normally does because we need this for the story which I thought was yeah. slightly odd and um, it, it, you know the powers seemed a bit marvel but like let's just roll with it um so I, I really don't remember Troy being able to kind of dip into people's minds like that that's it feels like a bit of a new thing to me um so <laughs> Deanna Troy original
0: accent last heard in Star Trek Generations
2: uh has got she has got
0: more cockney as, as as time seems to have gone on she, she, um, she's got more Marina surface
3: as time has gone on she, she probably is jack's real mum
1: <laughs> yeah and
3: she was probably running the school she was the one that taught jack Saxon
1: the thing there with the um how she's now going into jack's mind is it because jack's letting her with his abilities uh diana never had these sort of abilities she had these vague uh, uh, feelings and stuff like that she, she knew what was going on with people but because Jack has got these extra abilities where he can go into people's minds maybe he's letting her into his mind so that she can see what's going on in her head uh, one other thing, the big clue is it's Seven being on the bridge when she she had the chance to leave and then when she came back and bad, goes, it's a good job you're here to witness this or something like that
3: there are lots of potentially big clues. There's also the camera angle, which was like the Borg when you saw him uh, Jack do his, his Granny Weverak's impression. But with Diana, um, I think it was Izzy said a few weeks ago that she's been the damsel in distress again. And I thought this episode, I thought, great, she's actually having a strong role, and um, and and making a, a big difference. But really, when you think about it, so there's something dark and ancient um, on the on the ship, that's to do with Jack, and it it was clearly um, scary. Uh, at the same time, they've downloaded. Um, from the they know what it is that they were looking, which was the parade pre lobe, which is Parietal also lobe. Yeah, which is also where the Borg bits were hidden. Um, apparently. I, I don't trust Terry Metallus not to be leading us astray. Um but with all that going on, they're gonna find out what's going on, but no Diana decides that she's gonna open this door and unleash this big scary um for the final two episodes. It's not very sensible really. Um, And I really want Deanna to be the super-duper hero on this. Uh, Look, I'll agree with the point you made about Deanna,
0: but I think if we're doing next-gen nostalgia, having Deanna Troy underused is the, like, correct and nostalgic (laughs) way to use it. So maybe that was a deliberate deliberate thing. But, yeah, I, I was looking for clues as well about Jack. And the thing that I really picked up, particularly when I watched this again today ahead of the podcast, is how much Vadik seems to know. So she says very clearly she knows what's going on. She says that it's something that Jack can either give her or that she can take out of him. So is it something that it doesn't seem like it's a physical part of Jack. It's like something that's possessing Jack or inside Jack or something. So they were the big clues that I took away.
3: Yeah, no. And, and also, what do you want? She says your gifts. Um, and she knows yeah. about the red door. Uh, Deanna seems to know about the door. In fact, everybody seems to know about the about the door and it's kind of weird. Uh, the other thing which um, Terry Ritalis said is is about the voice, that it's Gates. He didn't say that it was um, uh, crushed uh, Beverly, he said it was Gates and that he thinks it's his mum. But whenever anyone else talks about it, they say voices. But this is one voice that sounds like his mum. The other thing which came up um, less so over, I'm I saying I have been looking for every single clip, is Red Jack as well, um, which we may come back to. And so I watched that original Trek episode, which was hilarious, <laughs> very hilarious. And the, w- w- one of the main characters was um, the guy who voiced Piglet, which kind of was really distracting. So you had Piglet with a knife. It was quite cute. Yeah, no, just, just to pick up on what you said, I also made that note that
0: we hear the voices and one of them very clearly was Gates McFadden. And that is one of the things that thinks, leads me to think that maybe it is the wraiths, because they did appear to people in the voices of people that are important to other people. They didn't have their own thing. So that, that could be a clue, but there's other things that make me think it's not, um, particularly the fact that presumably the opening of episode nine is going to be the opening of the door, and if what, having had that cliffhanger, if what is behind the door, we all go, huh? Then it's not going to work. And how, how do you show a par wraith at the other end, unless it's Gold Ducard or something, Suki?
1: Now, I just want to mention that I did say it was Beverly's voice a few episodes ago, so i want some more points for <laughs> that. <laughs> right? Uh, and this time, I also seem to think there was um, Jean-Luc Picard's voice on there as well. I'm sure there was a snippet of that right at the end, just before uh, Beverly's voice came on. So I think it just seems to be voices that uh, people uh, he's recognised or 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 he knows, I should say, that seem to be using the um, uh, seem to be in his head. But uh, yeah, the red door. If it's difficult, because uh, you know it's only two episodes and it needs. This to be a proper, you know, defining moment of the season, possibly a big bad returning, uh, and you needed to really hit home. So, I'm hoping, as Dave says, it's not somebody that you just go, Well, uh, what, why are they coming back for? What, what, who, what, what sort of uh, enemy is this? Right, and he needs, or is it, or is
0: it <coughs> I was going to say, is it going to be a, an Empire Strikes Back type thing where he sees
1: himself? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, you could be there. You could be right there.
3: Yeah, because she does say as well about um, the loneliness, and uh, um, but uh, also always it the guilt. Uh, th- th- yeah, something horrific that that has been done. But the thing about Red Jack, you know, he was Jack the Ripper. It's the name Jack, and he possesses people and makes them do stuff. But um, I mean, Jack seems to have a big control over what's going on. There's a lot that went on with Red Jack outside um, the television. And f- um, so if you look at the books and comics, there was a time where um, Moriarty, well, yeah, it- Red Jack challenged Data to save the others. So Deanna and um, Data were in a Sherlock Holmes world with Red Jack. But I think it's too obscure now to have built it up this much for it to be Jack the Ripper or um, Moriarty.
1: The thing is, though, they've they've got that actor come back to play Moriarty and he was there, as you said, he was only there for about less than two minutes in the whole episode. And he was prominent in the trailer as well. So if you're Deb's uh, going down this path with... uh, uh, Red Jack and Jaffa Ripper and all this stuff. Would Moriarty return again in these last two episodes? What do you think Ter-
3: Terry Metalis likes Miss? I can say it now. Uh, <laughs> he likes misdirection, though, doesn't he? He's all the way. This stuff about law, um, law hasn't been. I mean, he was significant, but not many minutes really. Oh, uh, we we will come back to the the data law thing, I think. But uh, and Felis Catus, but. Um,
0: yeah. What did, what did we all think of the, the, the data law moment? I, I, I Look, I thought it was a really lovely moment. I think that it's good that they've just finally given up on the idea that Brent Spiner can play data in the 1990s anymore because he's now 70-something, I think, and they found a really good way to do that. Um, I will say I was very disappointed as they started the whole mindscape thing and the whole nostalgia thing I thought this is how Denise Crosby comes back this is how we get our Denise Crosby cameo she's going to be a memory she's going to come back and then when they he pulled out the little thing from um uh her funeral I thought okay they're not doing that That, that's that's a real shame and what could have been a really nice oh there's the uh Lieutenant Yar um you know funeral thing I was disappointed because I was like they could have had the real Lieutenant Yar so that was a shame but it was it was nice Andrew
2: I kind of felt the same. Like it was an opportunity for sort of to be a little caveat at least. Um, and I think it would have been, you know, it was just a, a small nod to the character. Um, but actually like in that sort of context, we could have seen her for real, which I think is a bit of a missed opportunity. And um, what I did think of it is um, I thought of the naked now, and obviously, you know, he, he sort of thought of someone he's lost, but also it's like Tasha Yar, like date is only Shag. That
1: was Possible name, yeah. only Shag.
3: Well, he did know that he was fully functional in every way.
0: I I, I think that in First Contact, when the Borg Queen asks how long it's been, the amount of time, he says, does imply that the last one was the Naked Now. So at least he's had
3: none between
0: the Naked Now and First Contact.
1: (laughs) Oh, poor lad.
3: (laughs) I, I think it was sweet that it was uh, Tasha Yar on in little hologram because it was that moment in the funeral and also the fact that we led to find out that he kept that little hologram. Um, that is, It's the memory. The memory, it was quite beautiful, really. I think if it had actually been um, Diane Crosby, it would have been a bit too distracting. But it was just sweet and, and perfect. And, and the whole idea that data was made by his memories... But when Spot appeared, um, that was when I started beaming, really, and um, and the way that he Spot in a way taught me how to love, and also notice. because it was the memories which changed Law, uh, Law didn't um, get rid of the cat. Spot he kept Spot and was being quite. He was stroking
1: Spot, so it was Spot that changed Law. So Spot saves the day, hero. The whole thing with uh, data uh, and lore in that little dreamscape that they had, and they're just passing, data, just passing the memories across. I think it was beautifully done. Uh, just bringing back all these little uh, moments in his life. As you said, we had the Sherlock Holmes pipe. We had the tricorder, Tasha, a pack of cards to uh, signify all the poker games. And with them, finally, we had Spot, uh, which is great. Just lovely seeing all these little moments and... But the thing was, I just didn't understand what was actually going on until he explained it at the end. But why was Data suddenly just handing them over? And I didn't realise that he'd already figured it out very early on. But if Law is supposed to be the same sort of equal that Data is, why didn't he figure out that he might end up being consumed by the memories?
0: Um, so a couple of points on like that. I'm, I must admit, I'm a bit surprised you didn't see it coming because I just thought, Like, I know where this is going to go. Like, they're not killing Data again, because they've already done it, like, seven times in the series so far. Um, But I think it it was a nice nod back to Descent Part 2, because there was that sort of moment where Data has to kill Law and then has to, um, you know, deactivate him and say goodbye to him. But, But you ask, why does it work? It's because Law's always had contempt for Data. He's always thought that he was superior to Data. So it wouldn't occur to him that Data's going to outwit him or outplay him or that... Data has a better understanding of emotions than Law does, because law Law's always sort of thought that Data was just this imperfect copy.
3: I think Data's experiences as well has made him learn, as and it's made him who he is. Um, so that's made him smarter in a way. But he hasn't killed Law. I think Law has changed, and the fact that he can do contractions and uh, have humour is that Law... I mean, if we do see Data again, it would be interesting to see whether there's a dark side of Data now or whether whether there is still that competing or whether he's just embraced. Oh, if he had to live with Law's memories, though, oh, that does open a, a, a big door, doesn't it, really?
2: I think he
1: has killed Date, uh, He has killed Law, Data has, because it's that finality of the the two uh, the words that they say at the end where uh, Data goes, goodbye, brother, and then Law himself. Turns, uh, yeah. says goodbye, brother. So law has gone. Maybe he's the elements that made up law are now incorporated into data. But uh, the actual uh, person, the creature, the, the the soul that was law has gone.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. Yes.
2: So I think I, I, I've, I've en- liked and enjoyed quite a lot of slightly surreal television. So I never try to understand too much what's <laughs> going on in those scenes. I just kind of let them wash over us a little bit. Because um, I think if you try to unpick that and make it have any sort of science, then uh, it, it's nonsense in it. But it worked. I think it worked really well. I think visually it was done quite well. Um, and I think that thing about the sort of using contractions in speech, I'd never really thought about it. But actually, when, when you look at those scripts, that is the thing that makes him sound not human because none of us, you know, no one has that speech pattern, do they? And, and it's, it's a really small shift, I think, that, that says quite a lot. And I've never really paid any attention to that. But uh, I think that's quite an interesting thread to pull. Um, and I think if you look at anyone who's written as a, a sort of android character or anything like that, that is always what they do to kind of denote that they're not a person. Um, so I, that's a that's a small little shift that I quite like. The,
1: the bit about uh, the contractions, I'm just thinking the only other person, I think, I might be wrong, but Dave might be able to, or Andrew might be able to, uh, but Leela from Doctor Who, didn't she always used to not, um, she never used to say we're and there and
3: all that stuff i was getting upset that you thought that i wouldn't know the answer and then i realized no i don't <laughs>
1: <laughs> go on Dave. what, what was that
3: yeah I, I don't think it was a like a stated character thing
0: but, but i know lois Jamison did use more primitive speech patterns and sort of oddball enunciations to to mark that out so yeah, you could be right
3: it was quite interesting as well that uh um, all through Next Gen, people would argue with Brent Spiney, used a contraction here. And he'd go, I, di- I, you know, I didn't use a contraction. You know, if you listen to it, because it speaks, sometimes it sounded like he did a contraction. So the, the, that argument was one that went on for years. Used the contraction. No, I didn't. So it was, it was, uh, it made me laugh. Well, let's, let's talk about vadic because this was a big episode
0: for her or it or whatever you, you call a, a changeling. Um I, I guess the question is, do we think that her death was definitive and final? And, and and I'm in two minds because they certainly went to a lot of trouble of showing her freeze and then shatter and then the ship blowing up. So they could say that she was definitively dead, but it's sci-fi. So, you know, she can always come back. So interested in your thoughts on that. I thought it was a really good um, performance from her, probably my favourite of
3: her performances so far in this series. I just loved the line, fucking solids. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it also reminded me of um, of Lorca's death, um, but I got sad anyway. It it was, I don't know why, I was just really sad when she, um, and then I, then I smiled again because Spot had been there and Data was being lovely. The other thing is the scars on her face, uh, they do seem to be more noticeable now. Are they linked to the red vines that um, Jack sees?
2: So I was going to say, um, I, I think Vadix, I think they've very much played on that kind of, that Khan character. And I felt like a lot of the episode, it kind of made me think of Space Seed, where Khan takes over the Enterprise. Um there's lots of those little nods I think you know like of Khan there's a no smoking sign on the bridge and there she is smoking away on the bridge which you you never see Um, but I think her death was it was unexpected for me I didn't expect her to die in this episode Um, It it seems kind of early and it's one of those, I call it a demolition man death because it reminds us of of kind of, I think that was the first time I saw that as a kid and I was like, wow, that's good. Um, And that's a pretty final death if you're a human being, but if you're made of goo that can kind of come back together, then if someone wants to scoop that up and unfreeze it, I don't know. I, I don't know about the finality of that one. Um, th- there's potential to bring her back, I think, whether that's the plan or not, because um, we have got another big bad to contend with. So so I, I think there's definitely scope there.
0: Yeah, look, the death actually um, reminded me of um, Thanis's offsider from Infinity Wars. He has a very similar death. We've seen him floating off and freezing. Um, and I need to also add there that Vadek's plan to get Jack out did remind me very much of Commander Raker in the Blake 7 episode Spacefall. I did have to get that in there where he shoots the prisoners to uh, try and get the goody to give himself up. But what was interesting is you you mentioned earlier, I think, Deb, the the scars on her face. I did wonder if that was an indication of her suffering or in pain because we saw at the end of Deep Space Nine um when the virus was taking hold of the founders, they did struggle to change their shape and they did have that decay. But also in um, uh, The Die is cast where Odo can't <clears throat> excuse me, where Odo is unable to change his form because he's under the torture device, um, he starts to look a bit like that as well. So I don't know if that was a reference. But in in, in preparation for this, I did go and re-watch the three-parter that introduced the founders. And it was interesting to contrast a few things there because when odo first meets the founders they have this whole speech about how when their race first met solids the soldiers were scared of them and the soldiers tried to destroy them or enslave them and so the dominion was created to um control the soldiers and and, and make make the, the the founders feel safe and it feels similar to this but a bit bit different but the other thing just before i get to suki is what is really contrast between this series is in Deep Space Nine. Whenever you saw a changeling, it was a big deal. And when you had a changeling die, it was a really big deal. That only happens three or four times across the whole series. Whereas here, those troops just get blasted left, right, and center. So I'm wondering if they really are changelings or just sort of changeling shock troop like created. Things, um, but yes, I want to echo Andrew's comment about if Vadic is dead and she's not the big bad, what is the big bad? And on that note, suki sorry, I've been hogging the limelight. That's all right,
1: no, no, that's not a problem. Uh, but we have said the, the big bad is going to be that uh, the troll like uh, thing that, were, that was the hand from a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, but, but, but what is it, I guess, is my question. The the star of the whole series has been the
3: swively chairs, but particularly the one on the bridge. And I'm glad Vadik didn't nick it.
0: I just want to go around the room and just get a definitive yes or no. Do you think
1: Vadik is dead? Yes or no, Andrea?
2: I think for the purposes of this series, I'm going to say yes.
1: Siki? Oh, yeah, she's gone. She has been obliterated. Not only is she floating around in space, her ship's destroyed. There's nothing else around there to be able to possibly pick up that goo. Uh, So, yeah, she's gone. Well, unless
0: somebody's got an infinite improbability drive. Uh, Deb.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I am just loving all these references. Yes, but I think Andrea's answer is, is, yeah. is spot on. But I just, yes, I'm just loving Blake Seven, Hitchhiker's references. Um, I'm going to have to listen to uh, this podcast again and tick off all the references <laughs> that you're doing. It's brilliant.
1: We're going on about the creature, uh, the other changelings, uh, how easy they've been destroyed. Now, is that because they've got the the ability to stay human uh, uh, so that they can pass as humans. And that's why... uh, And because Vadik has now been in this form of her torture for some time, uh, she's now starting to decay. And because she's starting to decay, that's where all the red lights are starting to show up on the screen, on her face and everything. It's maybe because she's just not going back into a little pot to be able to, uh, you know, link up with the the Great Link. Uh, So she's losing... Uh, and she's just starting to decay altogether. I, I think that's
0: very, very likely and a very good in-story explanation. I, I guess my my point was less about the, the like the physics of it, but more about the idea that when we saw the founders before, they were you know they were gods to the Dominion, and it was a really big deal to have one there. It was a really big deal to kill one, and you know founders very rarely died. Whereas here we sort of see ten killed. An episode without comment and so it was just i mean it's a different series a different emphasis that's fine uh, it was just something that had really occurred to me as a big deep space nine fan andrea uh,
2: they do seem to die quite easily like i think Worf's rescue like that seemed like a really cheap death uh, and, and i do know what you're saying then it's like i don't know why that would kill someone who can shift their shape so uh, th- th- there was a uh, I, i'm guessing it's for sort of plot plot expediency rather than any sort of major reveal. But but yeah, they,
1: they they do seem to have quite cheap deaths, I think. When Worf rescues Deanna and uh, Riker, yeah, you're right. Straight through the heart and they die. Is this again going back to the fact that they they might try um trying to replicate the human physiology and they've got all these organs in them. And because uh, Worf puts that blade through the heart, it stops them, disables them for a little for a moment or so, for him to pull out his phaser, then to disintegrate him. The same when uh, Ruffy's going around with her uh, two blades in the corridor, killing all these um, uh, changelings that are attacking her. She's n- not actually killing them, killing them. I think she's just disabling them, and then Walt's coming along with his uh, disintegrator gun and just getting rid of the, uh, the bodies.
0: I-, I think that's absolutely right. S- I certainly took that concept of, they weren't being killed by being stabbed, they were just being disabled, and that's why they were making the point of going around and shooting the bodies and blowing up the bodies afterwards. But, but listening to this conversation makes me wonder if there's been a fairly significant misdirection, and when we find out what the big troll head thing actually was, we'll find out that these weren't actually founders or changelings things in the way that we think of them at all, and there's like a whole different thing going on here like are they are they clones are they different species are they something else that's going on that's going to link into why they need the the Picard's body and all the rest of it so yeah I don't know if if maybe we're missing a really big clue there and just being petty about it I I don't know but you mentioned the the raw sorry, you mentioned the Worf-Riker-Troy scene. I think we need to highlight that because that was a really good, fun scene. I think the three characters there were just absolutely spot on. It was a really nice moment. Um, But I did like the fact that we got the reference to Imzadi because the Imzadi novel is one of my favourite Trek novels, so it was good to have that in there. But also the fact that we just got, I think, for the first time ever, this acknowledgement that Deanna went from having a two-year relationship with Worf to just off-screen suddenly marrying or, 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 you know, being engaged to Riker between movies and this sort of acknowledgement where uh, I, I think Riker was a little bit like, hang on, Worf, you know, do you still have feelings for my wife? And it's the first time <coughs> I've ever seen it, acknowledged that the Diana just changed her love life completely off-screen unless you read Imzadi 2.
2: So I never really bought into the whole, like, Deanna Wharf relationship, it, it seemed to like appear from nowhere and like it always felt a little bit awkward to me. Like they needed to like write a little like love subplot and they just picked those two out of the hat. <laughs> Whereas I think like Worf and Jadzia, like you kind of saw that coming over time, that that built up like a real relationship. Um, yeah, and and it was much better done. So it always seemed a bit of a sort of odd like like filler almost like she was always going to go back there because they'd been teasing that from episode one um but it, and it was delightfully awkward um and, and I quite enjoyed sort of Worf was kind of awkwardly trying to tell her how he'd been working on himself and things everyone's standing there like oh, this, is not fun for this conversation um so it was I think it was done in quite a fun way um and it's a lot better than than sort of what we saw in all good things which was those two not speaking to each other because Diana was dead. So, you know, it, it's an improvement on that situation. Um, so it, it was always going to be a, a little bit cringy, I think. And it, it was quite nicely done. I'm quite happy with that.
1: As, as you guys have said, that, those scenes between the three of them when he rescues are absolutely brilliant. Made me smile, made me chuckle. And I just love the awkward nature of uh, Roy standing there listening to these two former lovers uh, talking basically, and I thought that was great. But then, Wolf had another great uh, little uh, line a bit later on, where they're all, in, which was another magical moment, really, for all us old t- uh, next gen uh, uh, fans uh, having all seven characters around the air table. But then, you had that little moment in there where uh, to, to for Wolf to say that he'd missed all his cr- uh, former crewmates, and the only way he was going to, you know, say, hello, or, you know, I'm thinking of you, was to send him the head of one of his enemies. And I think thinking, oh, <laughs> wicked little thing.
3: It was passive-aggressive, though, so he couldn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Andrea?
2: I, I think the other kind of big reveal is that apparently Riker's good in bed, but bad at pizza, uh, which is the way around you want it. But I, I'm sceptical. <laughs> I think he likes himself far too much to be good in bed. I think it would be all about Riker. I think he'd be enthusiastic, but... I think it
1: would be all about Will. <laughs> I'd I concur with that. There, actually, I just remember there's something in that scene where Riker and Diana are talking and they're, they're, they says, he says, Did we do the right thing? We're passing on a compromise code. Now, compromise code was not mentioned at all during the whole of this episode. So they've gone and done something which will come into play for the final two episodes. Oh, Deb's shaking her head at me.
3: No, it was... Um, that's how they knew that it was Riker last episode. The code that came through was um, uh, a special code that showed that they were uh, captive. It was mentioned. Oh, yes.
1: Minus a point. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Not minus a point. We'll just give you a point, which will take you up to one, one. point. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just... It was lovely to see everybody sat around the table. Apparently... Uh, Michael Dorn had said that he wasn't going to acknowledge data. Everybody else was really um, chuffed to see uh, data back in. He was like, he decided that, he, uh, that Worf would, uh, well, that, that date is dead. This is a different one and uh, not really be that impressed. Um, but um, it, was a, it was a magical moment. It had to be. But, um, but what about Seven and Sure? It is their ship. I mean, if they just completely taken over, um, I mean, I think I don't know if it was Terry Metalis or um, the Shore actor. I think it was Terry Met- Metalis so So, well, where's then again? They're in a funeral for a lost colleague, you heartless soul, or something like that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. So, uh, justice for sure despite uh, the name thing, which doubtlessly we will mention. Look, I was just going to say
0: on that scene, I think that that was the scene where we all stopped pretending this was a TV show and a work of narrative fiction and just said, this is the moment all the fans want. We get to see all of that crew minus Pulaski and Denise Crosby and Wil Wheaton back. And look, it was a lovely moment. I, I, I wasn't quite as enamored as some fans have been I've seen some fans saying that they started weeping and all the rest of it because there was a part of me that looked at them and said they are a lot older than I remember and therefore I'm a lot older than I was when (laughs) I watched it so it it did make me feel my mortality a bit but look I I think it was a lovely scene and it made no sense in the narrative but if ever you're going to do that this was the time to just say who cares and do that
2: So I think we did want to see that kind of Magnificent Seven sitting around that table, like like the old days. Um, And I think what was interesting was sort of watching it with a a fairly casual viewer of Star Trek. Um, You know, someone who hasn't seen Deep Space Nine, hasn't seen Voyager, hasn't seen Enterprise, has seen sort of half of Discovery. Like, so a really, really casual viewer who was literally choked up, like... Like oh my god, like more than me. I was like I was fine, and it was like, are you okay? It's like no, I'm not okay. So I think for kind of, I think there's that tricky response to it. But I think for a lot of people who maybe just just watched it as a kid, like I can see like that, that a lot of people that's going to have a quite a wide appeal. I think I think that scene needed to be there. Um, but I was was interested for just like even a casual viewer was quite like, oh god, it's like the old days. So so that was quite nice.
1: I think, uh, to be honest, I think not just the Magnificent Seven, I think there was a Magnificent out there, because I'm pretty sure Will Wheaton was probably just standing outside in his traveller garb, right? he could just <laughs> start, You know, because he could travel anywhere, and he was there in spirit. He might have even turned himself invisible, he might have been sitting in one of the chairs at the back, and nobody noticed. He was in yeah. the swivelly
3: chair. swivelly
1: chair, well, they were all swivelly chairs,
0: weren't they? Can I can I move us on to Jack who's been one of my favorite things about this series and I think he'll be good at pizza and very good at other things but we won't (laughs) go into that too much. Um, It was interesting to see his reaction to everything in this episode. He was very desperate to tell us that he's never changed into anything and that he's not a changeling. He was very clear in saying that he's known he was different going back to his childhood whether that's a An allegory for something else. I don't know. I'm not going to go down that path necessarily. But it was interesting to see his reaction. It was interesting to see him save the day. You know, um, and and Picard actually didn't save the day. In fact, Picard himself didn't contribute much to this episode at all. So I I I like that. I liked him. I was a little bit uncertain about Beverly's reaction when Jack starts talking about I've got these superpowers and everything, and I was expecting a real sort of stressed mum. Thing. and particularly given that Beverly's already had one child turn into a super being and bugger off into the universe, and now he's saying, I might be about to do the same thing, and she just sort of switched to Doctor rather than Mum, and started scanning him and doing all that, so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for the character, but it was something I noticed, but um, yeah, I'd like Jack in this.
1: I can, I can understand her switching straight from uh, Mum to Doctor, because she doesn't know what's going on, and she ain't going to just start asking all Questions that she ain't going to possibly get the answer to. So she's going to revert back to what she can do, which is going to be pull out her tricorder or medical kit and start scanning to see if there's anything wrong with him. And uh, straight away she finds out there isn't actually anything wrong with him at all, but it's got to be something else. Um, yeah, so I, I can. And going back to Jack, he, he has been great all season. Uh, Andrew's been calling him Space Eggsy for, and he's been great. <laughs> in that role all season. Uh, and I think he was... The, the the bit that stood out this, this time around in this episode is him pleading with his mum and dad to say, look, I am different and I, I need you to understand that I'm still me, sort of me, but there is still something going on. And both of them didn't disbelieve him. They immediately said, what can we do? What can we help? And they also let him do his plan as well. Whereas before... It was a case of, don't get yourself caught, don't do this, because this will play into their plan, into the changing plan. But this time, he says, look, I can do this. And he lets uh, they let him do what he has to do, which was like control that crewman, and then a bit later on, walk onto the bridge with that device. Uh, so they trust him to be able to use his abilities and what uh, he's done in the past to be able to, uh, you know, basically make sure he's okay. So yeah, Jack has been Jack has been great all season. The actor has been great. Ed has been fantastic all season.
0: Yeah, if there's no follow-ups on that, let's move to Jack's alleged father, Picard. Um, it was interesting in this episode that Picard didn't have a lot to do, but that's okay. It's a it's it's a series that may have his name on it, but it is an ensemble series, and he doesn't have to be the hero every time. But we did get that whole thing where Raffi had found. Picard's original body now at first when I watched this I thought it's really weird that they've now blown up that body so the changelings can't do anything with it but rewatching it, is my understanding correct they've already taken away from that body the things they want Deb you're nodding
3: not yes the um the bit which I couldn't say about the, the... the parietal lobe yeah yeah, uh, I have to admit, I was just interested to see whether he was actually, uh, I, uh, this is a bit pervy, but um, yeah, I had to, I just it's kind of weird that they put pants on him, really. Well, it's a bit <laughs> if they didn't. I don't know, it's sort of, I never, they were very tight as well, weren't they? Very, very I, I wasn't looking that closely, Deb, but tell oh, us. Well, you know, just for
1: research. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Deb, I did the same thing. <laughs> I watched it originally, and I think it was a quick flash, and I think, oh, was he naked? And then a bit later, when I want to watch it again a second time, I actually paused it. Oh, yeah, it's got some underpants on, they and were, the they carried on watching the episode. Spanks, I think.
3: Perhaps that's what, yeah, oh, I knew it. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I won't go down that. But, yeah, um, but, yes, we should have been more interested in in, um, in the plot element, shouldn't we, really?
2: I like I'm doing well as being the only person who possibly isn't Laura in the tour on this subject <laughs> um, but I think what it's just kind of I've thought about there is how kind of I feel Raffi's been a bit underused like she's kind of like popped up in the background a couple of times. and then I feel like those characters that were developed in the first two seasons were kind of jettisoned and I think she's kind of clung on because that I think potentially I think was the final time of course um, but she doesn't really need to There, like, I feel like if you took her out of the plot, the plot would still work mainly. You could have put some, you could have just put Worf doing the things that she did. Um, And I'm hoping she gets something a bit more meaningful to do before the end. And we've only got two episodes, so I don't know if we're going to get that. But because I love her as a character, I think she's great.
1: I think it was worth it just for the Riker line, you're scary. I understand what you're saying about uh, Rafi just being sort of background character, especially in this episode where she's just utilised on the little bit of the uh, the strikes uh, breach uh, and then there's a bit where uh, she's just killing the uh, the changelings but I think it's the interactions that she has with Worf to give her something uh, for Worf to be able to uh, be uh, a, a character that stands out a bit more, rather than him just walking around doing all his things and grunting and maybe just standing in the background being quiet he needed somebody to interact with and that was Rafi and they, they do have that banter between the pair of them, especially uh, I mean, they've, they've got a familiarity with themselves as well because there's, there's that bit where he walks on with Diana and Riker onto wherever Rafi was and, she goes, and he goes Raffaella and she goes, yeah it's me and he doesn't even question it and just they carry on Right, so they they've now got that familiarity, and he's also able to uh, critique uh, fighting skills while in some, uh, you know while being around killing changes at the same time. Right, so yeah, I just love uh, that bit. But yeah, Raffy was underused uh, these uh, last few episodes.
2: I feel like one of the best, like, are you a changeling Challenges seems to be, do you like Chateau or Picard? And nobody <laughs> likes it. Like, what is wrong with this wine? Like, what thinks it's fine? Like, Jordi slagged it off as being too dry. Like, everyone's like, like, Shaw turned his nose up. People say, I'm not drinking that. It's like the Lambrini of space. Like, no one wants to drink it. People will drink it because it's their drink. But, like, n- nobody likes it. Like, what's wrong with his vineyard? He's like, oh, no, no, it's everyone else's wrong. Like, I'm right. right. Like yeah I, I feel like taking the piss out of chateau picard seems to be like that means you're a human like if some people something mm, it was delicious like then you think <laughs> you're a good person. um so i think maybe you need to go back to the drawing board and spend more time with his wine because he really <laughs> enjoys it
1: i think that with the wine i think it's a name recognition that's keeping that going you know i'm gonna have picard's wine from chateau picard right so i'm gonna have a bit of that wine so I, it might taste like cat's piss, right? But I'm going to have some of that I'm gonna, because I've got a bottle from Chateau Picard.
2: I was going to say, apparently it's quite nice. And I'm partial to a red, so I, I would be interested to try it because obviously it does it does exist as a market exercise. But apparently it's quite a nice wine, so they're not really advertising it very well in terms of merchandise there because it's not really making me think I, mean, I should buy that. But apparently it is quite tasty. Bitter yeah.
3: comment alert, it's probably only on sale in America like most of the CBS stuff at the moment. Are
0: we ready to go around with final notes or do we have another topic we need to cover? No, nope, we'll go on with our final notes. Oh, right, well, Suki, you're talking. You want to kick us
1: off? I think that one of the things uh, that might save that little uh, ensign's life, Carver Rinesma, one with a pasty on her head, uh, <laughs> was uh, the fact that uh, as Vadic is uh, just uh, looking at all these people lined up, which one to kill? she noticed that tear just rolled down her cheek right and thinking she might be a bit more useful a bit later on maybe and then you got standing right next to unemotional uh vulcan uh so she so the, as soon as you got uh, the ensign on her uh, knees uh to, uh, to, uh to kill her she decides to kill the the vulcan instead so yeah <laughs> i just loved loved that little bit there But, I think that tear saved that uh, ensign's life. Uh, There's a couple of uh, good lines uh, that I I was um, announced. There was a sensible measure of a life. Uh, Is there an episode called Measure of a Life or is that uh, a measure measure of a man? man. (laughs) That was it. But uh, I think that was all tied in with data and and law and I thought that was uh, good. I think that's it for my notes. Apart from fucking solids that was it <laughs> <laughs> from that. Andrew? from um, Andrew?
2: So I thought Riker and Troy's discussion of, of sort of getting over the death of Thad w- was quite well done I think it was it was quite it was emotional without being like overly kind of sickly I think Um. and it felt quite real um, and I think it was interesting that they kind of touched on that idea that someone who's kind of has those sort of Additional connections feel other people's grief, um, so I, I think that you can see why they're they kind of have struggled um, with their marriage after that. Um, Picard needs to change his password. Picard Alpha Tango is is always his password. Like his <laughs> password in first contact is his password. Like he really needs someone needs to have a chat with him about password security because he's clearly not very good at that. Um, <laughs> I've got the impression, and I'm not sure if I'm totally right, is that Kestra is in Starfleet Academy. You know, People are talking about kind of legacy shows and things. I don't know if that's been dropped in there for a reason. A little reference to Ractigeno, which is a, a sort of DS9 throwback. But I really can't imagine that Klingon coffee is nice based on what Klingons eat. (laughs) <laughs> like i really You know you, you can't imagine That like bowl of Wormy things Like being on the menu At Starbucks So I, I'm I'm not sure about it Everyone seems to like it But I'm dubious As to whether or not That's tasty um, I was a bit sad That Tereen got killed um, I thought that was it If they're going to Move forward With some more Titan stories I would have quite liked To keep that character I think that character Was potentially Quite interesting And I think That's me though
3: yep. Yay! Um, yes, the um, Picard uh, thing about his wine, but also the line from, from Riker about the Compromise Code. Uh, yes, we, we did the right thing. Uh, doubtlessly, Jean-Luc has a cunning plan ready now and he has them all captive. and Brilliant trap! And then they were there, yeah, all lined up on the bridge. The end credits seem to be more and more significant uh, and I know I I went through them to start with but I missed out the part of Data's brain or the blue and red dots they were there in the end credits as well as is the ship uh, which gets us back to uh, the straw that Jack the shape of the straw in 10 forward uh, which we kind of knew must have been significant Uh, and was the shape it was sort of like a diamond is that relating to this image which is on the screen uh, at the end credits and it is at the very end as well and is it a ship Uh, we don't know and it's just driving me mad now but I love it but um, I just so want to know I hope it isn't an anticlimax. I don't think it is, and we've got so many. Um, we've been misled so much, um, and um, there's been a lot of criticism in social media about uh, about Shaw dead naming um, Seven of Nine, and I'm I'm all with it really. That uh, he's learnt to live with his pain and guilt. And there is an anger and uh, a sort of element of control over him and a hatred of of the Borg. But at the very final part, time that he spoke to Seven of Nine in this uh, episode, you were there, sort of, is he going to say Seven because, you know, she saved the day and it was like Commander. And you, you wondered, the next time, the next time it's going to be Seven, isn't it? He's getting there, he's getting there. Um, And the the respect, I just love, I love um, Shaw, not just because he's so witty, but the character has evolved. He's not perfect. And in the past, Star Trek captains have have been this. I I know we had, um, Sisko was very damaged, but I just love the fact that that Shaw is what I hoped Law would have been really, but not as sexy.
1: (laughs) Suki. The, sure, I, I didn't like really like his character in this episode at all. Uh, Is the fact that um, he stands by and doesn't seem to argue with Vadic too much, and he lets Seven do most of the arguing. And Seven's the one that retaliates. Seven's the one that uh, restrained from a, and, and whereas Vadic, um, whereas Shaw stood to one side, he's like already seemed to have given up, and I didn't like his character trait there. So uh, in this episode, I think he just went down a notch. I
3: think it's part yeah. of his character arc. Sorry, David. No, no, yeah, I, I, I agree
0: with what Suki was saying. I thought that was a bit of a disappointing moment and episode from him as well. Um, I'll just go on with my sort of final little notes that I haven't covered. Um, I do want to highlight as others have that hostage scene and particularly the way that Vadik was trying to make – the hostages not think of themselves as officers but of people so they would get more stressed, but also make sure that Picard and Jack stopped thinking of them as just officers and of pe- as, as people so that they would be more effective as hostages and the emotional Black Bay would be more powerful. That was really well written, but as you say, Shaw's reaction to it wasn't all that effective. Um, I enjoyed Data's line about monologuing protoplasms. That did give me a good chuckle. Um, the reference where Geordie talks about Data... Um, can never take a life under any circumstances did th- cast my mind back to uh, the most toys where you have that moment where it looks as though Data's been pushed to kill Key, Key Fajo, And so I thought that was, deliberate or not, a nice little reference. Um, I liked all the little gold chips on the um, observation deck of the Titan. That was a nice callback to the Enterprise-D. Uh, the music that plays when Data goes into his dreamscape is called Le Chevalier which is French for the night. I don't know if that's significant or not. It didn't ring any bells for me as a former uh, piece of music that has played, but maybe that is the case. Um, And the most obscure reference I had is the design of the roof of the Bridge of the Titan reminded me of the design of the roof of the Odyssey with the computer shirker in Ulysses 31. So that was my um, obscure reference. But on that note, it's time to do... Can I, can I just... Oh, no, I, sorry, I just it's not want
3: time. No, I just <laughs> want to defend Shaw a bit um, because it is a story um, and um, this is written really as a homage to Next Generation and the legacy characters from, uh, you know, including uh, Seven. Uh, at this stage of writing it, no one knew whether anybody would like Shaw. And it's not about him. And I was frustrated as well. But as far as the story narrative is concerned, we're seeing an arc. And I'm sure by the end of the series, he will say Commander 7. And there will be a respect. And hopefully it will go on. And and Shaw will be a main character. But in a way, he's like a bonus that we've got him. Um, So uh, I don't want to finish dissing with dissing the Shaw, really. He's all right.
1: He's all right. It uh, just seems to be a bit uneven on some of the writing towards him. That's all I'm thinking. I think match.
3: that's just because he's a new character, and everybody. If it had been Shaw sure that had ended the day, people would have said, "Well, that should have been Seven and Plus, plus the fact that seven was on the bridge was significant because of what Vadic said about it's fitting that you're here to see this. Mm. Sorry, David, about that. No, that's that's okay. It was a very fair. Um, very
0: fair defensive sure There, look i'm I'm more with suki i think i i think so sure is sort of whatever the episode needs him to be that episode but i think deb's probably right that is partly because he's not a major character how much development do you give to a, a secondary character suki
1: yeah thank you for that dave uh, that means that's another point for me thank you <laughs> carry on dave well on that note then i think it is time to go to
0: our lights out of five how many lights do you see
4: <laughs> how many lights you see? There are four lights. I asked how many lights you see. Ah, uh, dib.
3: Three point five. I can show you why. I know. I know it's a podcast. Um, but as I said, this was my notes when I was first writing it. You can, you can't quite see there, but I said I'm smiling, and then the final bit is ah. I'm fed up with cliffhangers. I can't deal with them anymore. My heart is too weak.
2: 3.5. Andrea? I'm going to say four. I'm going to say four because I, I want to see what happens next. And there were bits of it I really, really loved. Um, as a standalone episode, I can kind of see why it, there's lots of threads like that, that that need to be kind of gathered up. So I can't give it any more, I don't think, it's a single episode. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely very happy with it, so I'll go for a four.
1: Siggy? I'm going to go for four and a half because there's a lot of things to like about this episode uh, and the main thing that tips it from a four to a four and a half is the fact that we had the whole Next Gen crew uh, sitting at a table for the first time in how many years and I just think that just a little bit tips it over from a four to a four and a half. How about you Dave?
0: Look, when I started this conversation I'd written down, it would sort of be in the low threes. But as I've talked about with you guys, I've realised how many just fun and enjoyable bits were in it. I, I, I can't quite give it a four, so I'll go 3.9 recurring.
1: <laughs> this is going to be two nightmares to my, my thing at the end of the season. <laughs>
0: <laughs> On that note, we'll move to listeners' feedback. Well, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll start with Miles Northkit from whose line is it anyway, Pod, if that's okay? Yeah. yeah. So Miles says, hi, Sookie. Here's some feedback for you on Picard Season 3 so far. I'm up to date with it, which is a pleasant change, laugh out loud. Th- thus far, it has to be said, Picard Season 3 is by far the best of the three series and is coming close to rivaling my best of any Trek, I would say. Obviously, for those of us who have grown up with the show through the 60s, through to the aughts, all of the returning characters in the throwaway mentions greatly enhance what is already there. But even without them, it's a cracking storyline, which is holding water when it comes to making logical sense. All the next-gen regulars have been exceptional with good natural development. The returning Picard characters of Raffi and Seven are helping to tie the three series together well. Although Raffi seems unnaturally headstrong in this series, possibly to further emphasize how Worf has calmed down maybe. I'm sure we have more nostalgia to come in the remaining episodes, particularly in relation to whatever has been stolen from the Daystrom Institute. I was thinking maybe this would be law originally, but now we have the new data back. That seems more unlikely. My theory is something I haven't heard anyone else consider, so I'll share it with you here. As we know, the main adversaries this season seem to be the Dominion, or at least the Changelings, and things have moved on a bit for them, looking distinctly different, more organic than a golden goo, and with enhanced abilities. So I was wondering what piece of Trek history could tie in with this that Daystrom might have gotten hold of, and my theory is, Armas, since only once seen, only once before in Skin of em- Seen only once before in Skin of Evil, Armus was the standout highlight of Star Trek TNG season one, and is maybe a changeling himself. Since we've had Rolaren and Moriarty back, why not Armus? Another thing I found quite interesting about the changelings was when Vadik eliminated one of her crew. So much for no changeling has ever harmed another, eh? I'm also a big fan of Shaw. I... have A very naturalistic performance, I feel. I and a total and a total cockwomble. Excellent. Whatever else is coming, this has been a superb series thus far, and I seriously hope the standard continues and they manage to land the ending. 4.5 lights out of five from me for episodes one to six as a whole. Keep up the good work,
1: guys and girls. Right. Miles will be back later with a review of episode eight. Right. These were just episodes one
2: to
3: six uh, uh, well we could do the, the miles one because i've got miles in episode eight in front okay well, Deb, w- yeah. Deb, why don't you do miles Part two. A, yeah i've got it in front yeah right. uh hello miles again uh surrender offers the latest enticing installment of this remarkable series in it we see the reunion of the entire complement from next gen it is truly an emotional and joyous moment Vadik's arc seems to reach its inevitable conclusion as the Titan is retaken by the Federation and the data law strand is also tied up with wonderful satisfactory results. Data's message to the Titan, once he had vanquished and absorbed law, is genuinely funny and heartwarming, it was. As were the scenes where he bestows his memories upon his brother, for they are our memories too and we delight in reliving them ourselves. Focus now turns on discovering exactly what is going on with Jack and why the changelings were so desperate to get hold of him and exactly what it is that has been inside both he and Picard that is so significant. Having Deanna back with the old crew now gives the opportunity to utilise her empathic abilities and her skills as a counsellor and leads us to another gripping cliffhanger. As we stand on the precipice, of the revelation of exactly what darkness is within or rather surrounds Jack. One thing seems certain and that is that this darkness must be something which also returns from the franchise's past, be that Changeling related, Borg related, wrath related, Species 8472 related or something else. My personal suspicions are that we can realistically discount the Paraths or, and Species 8472, for whilst we have had several Voyager references and even cameos, we have barely touched on DS9 aside from the obvious inclusion of this series' is big bad. And it would seem a bit of a stretch to tie whatever has been masquerading as Eremodic syndrome within Picard and sub- subsequently Jack to the Bajoran gods and devils. And similarly, How get any connection to the wonderful spooky 8472 be tied to Picard? This leaves us with a ball connection and Vadik's comment at how appropriate it was that Seven should be present when Jack was seemingly about to give the answers, be given the answers, increases the chances of that being something to do with it. Also, with Picard having been assimilated previously, it leaves us with a connection that could explain how he came to have something within him that has subsequently been transferred genetically to Jack. All this talk of a great darkness still has me thinking this could somehow have a connection to Armus from Skin of Evil. And seeing Tasha again in this episode adds credence to this theory. Until the ball came along there was no other threat that this next-gen crew had faced that was as sinister and as evil as Armus, And being a creature able to change its form and exist in a gelatinous state surely suggests some possible connection to the Changelings. One thing is for sure, with just two episodes left and with only the resolution of the Jack Picard-Irimodics thread and the Changelings' plans for Frontier Day to now be revealed, we are due some big answers very soon. Along the way, we will see, will we see Wesley, Janeway, or any other returning character from the second wave of Star Trek's assistance. Let's hope so, because this has been a wonderfully nostalgia fest, as well as being a beautifully sculptured series with excellent plotting, direction, acting, and production. I give this episode another solid 4.5 Out of five... Oh, 4.525 lights. The fifth one is flickering one, possibly near a red door. And my nomination for red shirt goes to Suki! Yes! For completely forgetting to include my last feedback in the previous episode of the podcast. What a muppet. Love you still, though, Suki Miles. P.S. I hope it isn't coincidence that since we had Lindsay on Doctor Who's line a while back as guest that she hasn't been on track this out. I promise we didn't contaminate her or try to persuade her to give up her role on the podcast, and I sincerely hope she returns to the fold soon. Yes, so do we. Having said that, if Andrea or Deb want to join us at any point for some chat, they are more than welcome. I'm right. up for that. Yeah, two thumbs up from us.
1: Thank you. Miles', Miles vote for red shirt doesn't count, so please carry on. Oh.
0: Suki, do you want to do Jack's for us, please?
1: Yeah, one second. Uh, so, we got Jack and Jack says, A bit short to review this week, as on the plane back. Someone has a, had a chest infection, and now all my friends and I who went on nursing chest infections. Oh, poor Jack. My many times grandchild could be Dr. Bashir, so I really need his care. Surrender is the name of the ending, the theme tune to 18th... Uh, is the name of the ending of the theme tune to the 18th Bond film *Tomorrow Never Dies*? Fan communities and me largely preferred to the main theme. That film stars Michelle yo mm. The codec is a bit Deus Ex Machina. Bit convenient that admirals can t- just take over ships. Picard's done it twice now, but even though he's a lower rank, surely a very much alive Captain Liam Shaw can do it too, if only for the Titan A. When Mrs. Patterson uh, executes <laughs> Tavine. It was generally creepy. I'm starting to not trust Vadik. She's a wronged. <laughs> Mar- Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes gives, uh, give a great two-under performance. It's only a few scenes, but enjoyable and left me hoping for more of them. But how Wolf enters this episode, I'll give five lights. Sydney says they need someone who can do 90 million separate functions a second. It's very convenient they have data. My friend and I have a bet on who Jack is. I agree with Mr. Davis. He's a par-wraith. Jack, that is, not Mr. Davis or my friend. Love the Easter eggs, and we got, uh, we got in data's memory, memories, and technically, Denise Crosby is in Picard with this episode. Still, I'd enjoy being in it as a full role, especially as Tasha or Sailor. Uh, overall I won't go as far as to say surrender is a skippable one, but I thought this week was a few shades weaker than the season as a whole. Having said that, I did swear a lot in anger when the episode ended on such a huge cliffhanger. Uh, I'm not reading all of those numbers.
2: Uh, 3.141592654 Just say Pi!
1: Pi! <laughs> Pi shattered Vadix out of 5, but add half a point for spot. I yeah. love cats uh p.s i absolutely love my time in los angeles i took just over 1100 photos currently they exist on my facebook but if there's demand i'll put them somewhere else especially the one where i'm inside the soundstage where star trek five mr davis's favorite and six was shot i said a bit shorter please don't red me <laughs> as i uh as i've Now, penetrated Paramount, I will tell them my displeasure of Denise Crosby, Will Wheaton, and Diana Mulder not being in the much touted reunion. Especially Denise, as she saw a picture of an old cat of mine and loved the cat, Jezebel. Cheers for that, Jack. I hope you get better. Yeah, thanks for that.
3: I've, i lost the opportunity, by the way, uh, when we're talking about Spots, to go, Felix Cattis is your taxonomic nomenclature and endothermic contraband. Your visual factory and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skills and natural defenses, etc. I do know it all, because I'm a geek. I've
2: got to be honest, that was about as clear as Suki's impression of you. <laughs> 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 My friends do it at parties.
0: Classic. Um, uh, Andrea, can you do Darren Pickles, please?
2: Yeah so this episode was one of the best Star Trek episodes I've ever seen. It had quite a few punch the air moments in it like the scene when the Changeling guard was just about to take Deanna away from the prison cell and Worf arrived to save the day. It had very emotional scenes like the one between Geordie and Data again and also when you see the TNG crew reunited around the conference table just like old times. I was surprised that Ms Patterson Vadik was dispatched so easily but it was very satisfying when Seven said, get off my bridge and Vadik got sucked out into space and said fucking solids. I thought that Vadik was going to survive. Then they showed her freezing in the coldness of space, hitting the Shrike and smashing smithereens. I loved the scene when Data took back the ship. Talking of Data, Brent Spine was amazing in the battle between the two brothers, Data and Law. And it was a great twist when you think that Law has won has won, and then Data turns the tables and wins the battle for his body. I'll be intrigued to quote Data, what happens with this new version of the character, with his contractions, humour and all? The return of Data in this season has almost taken away the sting of his death in the dreadful film Star Trek Nemesis. Almost. But what a cliffhanger at the end! Of. What is behind the red door? I watched a preview clip of next week's episode featuring Deanna and Space Exi that they showed on Will Wheaton's Ready Room show, and that teased the audience even more. I can't wait until next week. Five lights out of five.
0: Thank you very much. So we're back to me for Kat. This is the one time I enjoyed a lore appearance. (laughs) He surrendered to and incorporation as part of Data. Or did Data surrender to him? I've always hated the character because he was hammy and one-dimensional. But here we got to see him understand how hollow his life was. For once, we got to see an expression on Law's face that wasn't condescension or evil glee, but regret, loneliness and other shades of emotion. The smile on his face when he accepted spot from Data data, worried me at first. Were we about to see cat murder? But his face softened and in that moment, Law realised how hollow his life had been and he lost the battle or gained a new humanity. An absolutely fantastic performance by Brent Spiner, who finally had great writing for the character of Law. Hooray for Spot, Catlove undid a villain. Data and Geordie's conversation afterward made me very happy. It was nice to see Data joking with Geordie and the two of them affirming their deep friendship after it got so slighted in season one of Picard. Speaking of villains, Vadik. A dynamic last appearance from Amanda Plummer, who, in perfect character, assassinated Portavine, the Titans' Vulcan science officer. What a horrible tease. I thought sure she was going to kill the other officer, Esme, who was crying in fear. That scene was a little harrowing for my blood, as was the massacre of the officers in the passageway, locked in with the Changeling assassins, as Vadik conducted an imaginary symphony. I'm trying to imagine Captain Shaw's feelings as he heard and saw all this. He who took pride in keeping his people safe. A fan's going to brand him a coward because he didn't jump out like Impulsive Seven and volunteer to be, sac- volunteer to be the sacrificial lamb with the inevitable, take me instead. This worries me because they may be setting Shaw up to die and no one would feel bad because he's still calling Seven handsome and didn't offer himself to be killed. But he did in the Turbo Lift. Don't hurt my Shaw. Seven won't trade lives, but offered herself, so her logic escapes me. It will be interesting to see Seven and Shaw work together if ever there's a Star Trek legacy series. I got very impatient with the dithering around over Jack giving himself up. Lucky they finally thought of a fence for Vadic that Jack deployed from his bomb-like sphere. How many, Titan, how many Titan officers died in the meantime? I think Jack would have been equal to the Changelings with his superior fighting abilities.' It was fun to see Vadic get spaced after all her cruelty. Fucking solids is bound to be a swear in many a Star Trek household from now on, along with weird shit. I've seen theories that Vadik may be able to piece herself back together in space, but I rather doubt it with an immediate torpedo blast. Riker and Troy, how dear to see their humour and making up. I had wondered why Riker was so upset at the death of their son, Thad, which had happened years ago by the time of this story. Now I understand. Troy has taken his grief upon herself in the interim, and once Riker was distant from Troy, he began to feel it raw for the first time. Now I see what he was talking about in episode four. How delightful to see the resumption of their relationship and affectionate joking. Frakes and Seatis have wonderful on-screen chemistry." Worf and Raffi arrived right on cue and for once their scenes didn't slow things down. I enjoyed watching Raffi take out several of the changelings, but wondered at their lack of phases and sudden acquisition of swords. Worf's speech to Diana during the rescue was interrupted, but deadly serious, as all of Worf's Worf's funny moments are. He's such a great character. Troy taking Jack down the corridor to the Red Door? What will they find in there? Here's my latest theory. Remember Worf Remember Wolf in the Fold from original series Star Trek? The story of mild-mannered Mr Hengeist who has violent deaths occur in his vicinity? He who turned out to be inhabited by a murderous entity? I think they're going to find out that the fugitive entity Redjack, Redjack has been hiding out in Jack Crusher since his youth. That would make him feel different right, from the other kids. Red Jack. don't you see? How many lights do I see? I see 4.5, but I didn't get enough of my shore. So four lights
3: out of five. Thank you very much. I was just going to say uh, that uh, he was inhabited by Piglet. You've got to watch that episode. It's brilliant. The voice of the guy who's possessed. It is Piglet. I had to look up, and he is the voice of Piglet. Um, But, uh, yes, it was a hysterical episode. Very good. Loved it. Tom Turlow, another enjoyable episode and a satisfying end to the VADIC era of the series. Nice to see the full roster of the next-gen crew sit around a meeting table for the first time. It's only a shame it took eight ap- episodes to get there. Still not terribly taken with Jack Crusher, so it's a bit irritating that he's the central driving force of the story. Cool to see Wolf come to the rescue and I enjoyed his interaction with Deanna. Looking forward to the final two episodes. Four lights out of five. Another couple of typos in this. I really shouldn't tweet when I'm in the throes of passionate exuberance. I loved it, Tom.
1: We've got uh, Davy Paul, and he says, what a cliffhanger again. Just as we're about to find out what Jack's secret is, end credits. No surprises as to who helped rescue our heroes. Data, law inner conflict, Super." Super. Have four out of five likes from me. Superb again. And this, we've got one piece of audio feedback, and this is from Steve Hatcher.
4: Hello, this is Stephen Hatcher from the Hoover's Doctor Who group. I'm talking this week about Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 8. Ooh, only two more left after this. This one's called Surrender. When we left things last week, Vadik and her changelings had occupied the Bridge of the Titan and captured the bridge crew, including Captain Shaw and Seven of Nine. Troy and Riker and our prisoners, and the rest of our heroes are in three groups around the ship. Picard, Beverly, and Sidney LaForge are together. Geordie and Alandra LaForge are with the Data Law android, which has been disconnected in order to prevent the Law personality from taking over permanently. And Worf and Raffi are together somewhere else on the ship. Bit by bit, Vadik takes full control, shutting down Picard and Co's access to the ship's systems including communications and force fields and everything else that might be useful to them, and then demanding that Jack surrender, threatening to execute the bridge crew one by one until he does. Jack tries to use his superpowers to regain control but fails, and Vadik knows exactly what he can do and spots what's going on immediately. Mercilessly, she murders an anonymous crew member, though thankfully for us, it's somebody we don't really know, so that's okay, isn't it? But things look pretty bad. In the brig, Will and Diana—it it is the real her by the way, make their peace with each other, just in time to be rescued by Worf, who can't resist referring rather indiscreetly to his and Diana's former relationship. Sydney tells Picard that she could probably come up with some code to take back control of the ship, but nowhere near quickly enough. Picard realises their only hope is data, but turning him back on risks allowing Law to consume him altogether, and nonetheless, there is no choice. To buy time, Jack goes to the bridge, but he isn't ready to surrender yet. He has a bomb, a berm, with which he threatens to blow himself up unless the bridge crew are released. Vadik needs him alive so orders the crew locked away presumably in the captain's ready room which oddly satisfies Jack they haven't been released and there's nothing to stop uh, Vadic from turning around and executing them all afterwards once uh, Jack presumably has handed over his bomb which which she might believe him he's going to do anyway they're locked away but uh Seven of Nine, having already told Shaw, my name is Seven of Nine, standing up to him for once, elects to stay to face the consequences of her actions. Inside the mind of the android, the two personalities battle for control. Or rather, as Lore seems completely to dominate Data, who appears to be surrendering, handing over his souvenirs to his brother, including another returning TNG character, my favourite, Spot the Cat. With each object, he appears to be surrendering a piece of himself. Finally, all the blue data lights on the console display go out. Everything's red for law. Data's dead again. But wait, what's this? In the moment of law's triumph, data returns. By taking data's memories, law has somehow become data, and the two combine into a new version with data's personality. To be honest, I'm not sure I liked this very much. It did come perilously close to the sugary sentimentality of data defeating law through the power of love and friendship, something that TNG could occasionally fall prey to back in the 80s and 90s, but which I'd hoped we might have left behind. This is not the last time, by the way, that the episode will transgress in this way. Data overcomes Vadik's control of the ship in an instant, and in the best line of the episode refers to the changed in captain as monologuing protoplasm Or I did like that. As perfect classic data. He raises a force field around seven and Jack and vents Vadik and her bridge crew into space, where we see the frozen captain's body shatter as it crashes into a nacelle. Worf and Raffi polish off the remaining changelings, and in a sign of the increasing trust between them, Shaw lets Seven give the order to destroy the Shrike, although it's noticeable that he still doesn't call her by a preferred name. Well then, All is fine for now. The good guys are back in charge of the Titan, although they still don't know what wicked plans the Changelings have in store for the upcoming Federation Day celebrations. So, in possibly the worst scene in the series so far, or even possibly in all of revived Trek, the gang sit around a table and smile at each other, telling themselves how much they all love each other. It brings back memories of all the very worst sentimental nonsense that we had to endure from time to time in TNG. I thought we'd all grown up a bit since then then, but it appears not. Ah well, it's still not enough to spoil another great episode for me. While the Titan speeds off to who knows where to do who knows what to thwart the changeling schemes that they don't know what they are yet, Deanna gives Jack one of her counselling sessions, presumably as a freebie, there's no mention of any charge for her services, and takes him inside his mind to the mysterious foreboding red door of his visions. And there we are, at the end of another excellent episode in what continues to be a superb series. With just two episodes left, we still don't know what the changelings are up to, who Vadik's unseen boss is, and for that matter, whether or not Vadik is really dead. Although she certainly gave every indication of being thoroughly deceased the last time we saw her body smashed into thousands of pieces. Well, I'm in two minds now. I really want to see the end of the story. But I just don't want it to end yet.
0: Thank you very much for everybody who submitted that feedback, but I think it's now time for Red Shirt.
1: I woke up this morning, put on my red shirt. Oh,
0: (laughs) Suki, do you want to kick us off?
1: No, because I'd like to see who's going to vote for me first and then I can retaliate. That's not fine. fair. No, no, that's, that's not, not fair yes. that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm going to. I can't vote for Deb because I, I've said I wouldn't vote for her. And Newcastle are doing quite <laughs> well again and I'm thinking about voting for her. Uh, but I'm going to vote for Dave, but on the off chance that he will not come and see me when he's travelling around the UK. Alright so I'm going to vote for Dave uh, to make sure he did uh, to make sure he, he comes and sees me while he's travelling around the UK Andrea
2: I've got to be honest I did see that map of your tour of the UK and you are missing out the best bit um but I am going to nominate Deb. why <laughs> but one like all I can see is like a sort of a beheaded Jason that's behind your head, which is very, very wrong and very upsetting and distressing to us. And like, I don't know, I, I just, I just want a red shirt, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Hobby. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
3: Right, I'm going to red shirt Suki because he's getting way too smug. But I've always been smug. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm just learning more about
1: you every day, Suki. <laughs> Dave, you have the deciding vote.
0: Well, I've been thinking very hard about this ever since you invited me on. And look, I've been researching different things you can redshirt people for. Um, My (laughs) football team, Carlton, had a really good win, so I can't use that. I checked to see what my notional English footy team did, and they won. Sorry, they drew 4 4 with Hull City. I don't think any of you are associated with Hull, so I can't use Sunderland there. Um, So I am. Yes, my my yeah. family's from Sunderland.
2: All i to change me red shirt to the Maccam. I'm sorry, but like no, have got <laughs> if you've got Sunderland links, you have to
3: redshirt the Geordie.
0: That's oh. a pretty good. That's a pretty good answer, actually. So I am going to go with my Sunderland roots, and I'm going to red shirt Andrea.
1: Come on, yeah, you, yeah, you, you have you just changed your mind before the... And which which means That's that it's... how
2: I've voted, but I'm regretting my life choices.
0: Well, that, that means it's a four-way tie, and I'm not sure what the precedent is there, but maybe we just all go on one big suicide mission.
2: I think we all get blasted out into the cold of space and, like, have them Demolition Man deaths. <laughs> There's just clumps of us floating around.
1: And then when somebody gloops us all back together again, we've all got bits of each other in each, you know, together. It's just a mangled mess. <laughs>
0: Well, that's a lovely mental image to finish on, Suki. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. How did you find us, then, Dave? Oh, lots of lots of fun. I um. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll do the quick plug now and say that I've spoken on other podcasts on a lot of topics. So you can find me on the Doctor Who show or Spacefall, the Blake 7 podcast, or you can go back to the Goodies Pirate podcast. But I've never got to talk about Star Trek before, and it's been a lot of fun doing it. I I have got a bit of an idea to do a bit more of that as a little side project on the Doctor Who show, which I will may let you know about later. But um, no, it's been really fun just to talk about Trek because I never get to
3: do it. Any time I can talk about Blake 7, by the way, if you've got any opportunities, I love Blake 7. Excellent, excellent, I've been to, it's my favourite. It's awesome, it's what got me into uh, sci-fi in the first place. Yep,
0: it's my absolute favourite. No no offence to Trek or Who, but Blake 7 is is number one for me.
3: Mm. I
1: thought he was
3: the goodies. Yeah, they're good too. <laughs> I've, I've, I've met some of the goodies as well, I've got their... Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm just I'm just getting it in now as to what me and Dave have got in common, so that future, you, um, you know, make sure I don't get redshirted in the future either. Excellent. It's cool. Quite- well, hopefully that's a sign that you're going to have me on again one
0: day. But um, unless there's anything else, thank you for having me on. Thank you everyone for listening and set course for the Omicron Nebula. <laughs> thank you. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye.